In this episode of Sustainability Matters Today, I interviewed Dory Price, sustainability and climate change consultant and champion on contributing future-ready solutions to corporate sustainability. As a consultant, Dory creates innovative solutions in a thriving environment for communities across the UK. She's also a steering group member of the IEMA Futures Network, and IEMA is spelled I-E-M-A. Dory wrote an article called For the Record, where she discusses the role blockchain could have to help the UK transition to a low-carbon economy. Please make sure to subscribe to the Sustainability Matters Today podcast to learn more about other champions of sustainability like Dory. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you for joining me, Dory. Great to have you on the show. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So are you um, are you in London right now? Yes. So I'm calling from East London. Ooh, East London. Very yes. cool. Very trendy. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm more of a Northwest London person, but <laughs> East London is becoming a very cool part of town. And I'm actually calling in from Seattle or near Seattle, where it's been raining for the last like 24 hours nonstop, probably longer, but I've only been here for that long. One thing I've, I've noticed is um, the, everyone says, because I've, I've moved, moved to London about three and a half years ago, everyone says, oh, wow, London, it rains there all the time. Actually, London, it doesn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly my point. It, it rains like not very often. Absolutely. You notice this as a cyclist as well, is how many rainy days there are. I used to live in Vancouver. Um, so not too far from Seattle, and I definitely yeah. noticed when it rained. <laughs> yeah, I've actually never thought of that. Cyclists are probably the most aware. We're very prone, yeah. <laughs> uh, so going on to to why we're here today, it's um, really to talk about being a sustainability consultant, which I think is really cool because um, a lot of the people that are that have been on the show so far, they are working for a company that is either doing something specific towards sustainability or they work in a division in a company that makes the company sustainable. Um, but what you do is actually a little bit different in the sense that you work with a variety of clients trying to and, and helping those clients become sustainable or be prepared to be sustainable. Is that the general idea? Yeah. So I've been a sustainability consultant for the past couple of years and mm. I work within sort of a corporate advisory division, we'd call it, of a large professional services firm. So companies come to us with a range of problems that they might look for, they might want to find a solution for. Um, but we work specifically developing solutions for sustainability related challenges for a really wide range of sectors and clients across that mm, that's really cool and um uh how did you choose i'm curious to know because like well first of all you you were at the house of fraser before yes um that was kind of like your first foray into sustainability wasn't yes it? Uh, is there a difference f between working for kind of like house of fraser and um just focusing on one company versus working with a, a range of clients yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're working what we would call sort of in-house or client side with a company like House of Fraser, and also I don't know if I should put it into a little bit of context because I don't know how you know many listeners might be listening from the UK, um, mm -hmm. but if you're a bit more international, you might not have heard of House of Fraser, I guess. So yeah. House of Fraser is a UK-based 
um, department store. So a bit like a Nordstrom in America. Um, We have a lot of different brands, but also House of Fraser has their own line of sort of women's wear, men's wear and and homeware products. So I used to sit in a sustainability team there before I became a consultant. And when you're in that sort of client side, you tend to find that even in a, a pretty big company like House of Fraser, um, you might sit in a very, very small sustainability team and your job is to research key trends, to develop that strategy and effectively to program manage its implementation across your business. Um, because there's no way, um, especially in an organization that wants to be ambitious with regard to sustainability, there's no way that the size of the teams that are usually doing it can do it. And so you're right. more acting as a facilitator. You're training people, you're engaging them, you're understanding the processes that they need to follow mm-hmm. and thinking about how sustainability can in- be integrated into that. So that often requires you to think a lot about how do we build a business case around this so that it makes sense for everybody and so that it's not just good for the planet, but it's also going to create a viable business model. Um, yeah. You're also usually working on much longer timeframes, you mm. know, maybe five years or 10 years to really integrate a key strategy. And to, you know, in the case of House of Fraser, you're trying to turn a historically really unsustainable business model into something um, completely different. And that's obviously yeah. going to take time and it's going it to require working with people across the business. So then as a consultant, your job is kind of a flip side. You're almost actually as an extension of those sustainability teams. They come to you for key bits of advice or guidance or um, whatever it might be. So you're often, depending on your client and the relationship with them, you might only be working with them for a very short period of time. You know, they want some data related to um, the sustainability of their packaging or they want some guidance about how to set their strategy Um, Mm -hmm. so you know you could be with them for a couple of months and it could be a really quick turnaround and a bit of research for them or you could be working with them for years but you Mm -hmm. tend to see that the advice that you give um, you know you kind of have to be mindful that you're there to guide them and to act as that um, extension of their team often um, but you don't have the control over how it's implemented in practice. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so kind of a lot to unpack there. And I'd love to spend most of the time, I think, talking about the consulting side because it sounds really interesting. But the absolutely, I think the House of Fraser is a really interesting uh, use case for sustainability just because of how complex I think it is. Um, first of all, House of Fraser, I think, is well known. I, I see it in, I've seen it in London and in Manchester during Christmas. They cover their storefront and it's like three or four stories tall, right? With lights. Uh, it's so bright and it's actually really beautiful, but I imagine that um, it uses a lot of energy unless there is some pretty clever stuff that. Uh, House of Fraser is doing in terms of renewables, um, but in terms of like the the kind of the the key things, I mean, building a business case and training uh, staff members. What are some of the things that a company like uh, House of Fraser, which, as you said, is like a Nordstrom or a Macy's um, for people based in the U.S. Uh, what what are some of the key 
lessons, I guess, that you need to impart on uh, other members of the company? Yeah, that's a really important um, role that a sustainability team needs to sort of take on when they're thinking about integrating sustainability into an organization like House of Fraser. Who are the people that you need to identify? Who are the teams that you need to work with? Who are the sort of gatekeepers to certain decisions Mm. um, in order to make sure that sustainability makes sense and, and is a priority? I think one of the things that I've seen be very successful is having, um, and I think is essential for any company that wants to really take sustainability seriously, is having senior level buy-in. So making sure that you know a sustainability team needs to not sit in a separate, siloed, sort of traditional CSR team. Yeah. It needs to be something that's prioritised and that people are going to listen to. Because sometimes it, you know, it can slow processes down. Mm. Um, And what you need to be able to do is help people to understand it may slow you down initially, but the long-term risk that we're going to be able to avoid is worth it. And in order to kind of have those conversations, I think something that's really important is also being able to speak the language of the people that you're talking to. And I think, you know, in any industry, it can be easy to be guilty of it. But, you know, in sustainability, there's there's lots of you know terminology and acronyms and um, it can be quite complicated. And you need to make sure that the way that you're communicating with people is in the language that they understand and um, prioritizes the things that are going to be priorities for them. So you know, for example, in fashion, you've got to consider that um, you know the people that you're working with, designers and buyers, are working to their own. KPIs and criteria as well Mm -hmm. and you need to think and understand what those are and how sustainability isn't a hindrance for them but actually maximizes and makes things easier for them. KPIs I mean would they typically be financial or is it not always? Absolutely so it will usually be around to do with um, time and finance Mm. so how can you build sustainability and why should sustainability be a priority for teams that are trying to, you know, buy the best quality product for the best price on the fastest time frame so that we can make sure that as a company we're competitive and we're bringing out the best that we can for our consumers. Um, so my focus when I was at House of Fraser and, you know, as a consultant as well, and sort of an interest of mine has always been around supply chains and how we can integrate sustainability within a supply chain context. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a fashion supply chain, um, you know, it's highly complex. There's so many different players. How can we make sure that we're thinking about not just environment, but human rights, et cetera, in that process? And why should, you know, it's not that people don't care. Of course, everybody cares about sustainability issues, but how can they integrate those into what they're already doing in a way that makes sense for them in a tangible way? So. It's also about, you know, thinking, okay, well, you know, in the short term, we can buy from, you know, suppliers, maybe without having these conversations, but in the long run, and, you know, House of Fraser has been a victim of this. Um, Any big name brand is going to have had sustainability issues to do with modern slavery, you know, particularly in the early 2000s, loads of companies came under the hammer for modern slavery, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, the use of fur the use of child labor. 
Yeah. And once people kind of understand the short term, potentially the short term risk um, impact versus the long term benefit, um, you can kind of start to have that shift. And then once that's in place, it, you're away because then the process already understands it and already has it built in. Yeah. Is sourcing a big part of the sustainability team's focus as in like you know working with suppliers that are committed to sustainability or perhaps uh, if they're not because a big part of house of fraser um and any kind of uh, department store is to have a large selection and a large qu- uh, quantity of items that people can choose from so would communicating with the brands that you're selling uh you know saying like look here are some of the values that House of Fraser is um, basically adopting, and we want you to get as close to as possible to meeting those or better. Is that something that you that someone's doing, or perhaps like only going for brands that meet a certain criteria, for example, and cutting out the ones that don't? It can be like that. So um, you may find that there are companies or department stores that are starting maybe not even to cut out, but to prioritise companies that can show that they're meeting um, or that their values are aligned with where they're trying to go from a sustainability perspective. Um, Equally, you may find that um, within a supply chain context, so also for context, you know, House of Fraser has brands that they work with where, you know, you may be able to have a conversation, but you can't have direct control over what happens because, you're buying from them um, right. and you know it's not your process but equally house of fraser also has their own brands that they um they own and mm. therefore that you know they have greater transparency into yeah. the supply chain um you know you may decide that you know you're only going to work with suppliers that meet certain criteria but that can be hard to know and it can also be hard to leverage because um you know in fashion you may be buying, you buy so much and from such a wide range of factories, you may find that, you know, you only have a very small percentage or stake in a large number of factories. Um, And therefore, your ability to influence and change things may be more limited. And that's why you're, at least from my experience, I've seen greater collaboration in industry, not just in fashion, but in a lot of other industries I've now worked with as a consultant, mm-hmm. where people are starting to realize, you know, yes, we can have a really strong sustainability stance in this, but actually we need everybody to come along with us because if we're working together, we have so much more leverage on these processes. How difficult is it to get that kind of kind of across the board buy-in? Sometimes it can be a real challenge. Um, and I think, you know, from my experience, retail has historically been more, um, they've, you know, companies hold their cards closer to their chest in terms of who they're buying from, yeah. et cetera, may not want that information to be shared. But from my experience, both, you know, working in-house and as a consultant and in the research that I did um, from my master's, actually, um, there's kind of a greater acknowledgement that, um you know, with information being as available as it is these days that, you know, these secrets are not as closely guarded as they may have historically been. And there's a much greater opportunity um, to collaborate on these things and, and, it, and it works for everybody. And I think there has been a shift to acknowledge that. 
Yeah, I think the other interesting part about it is that um, there are now brands that are becoming kind of, that are sort of going the other direction and becoming really transparent about their supply chain. Yeah. Um, I mean, in food, for instance, at least in London, you have um, companies like Farm Drop and Abel and Cole, um, and then there's Field and Flower, and these are basically food delivery companies that where they deliver food to your to your house, um, and they're incredibly transparent about where their food comes from, and they even tell you the farm, and they have a little bio about the farmer. Um, I think there is a lot of demand for that kind of level of transparency. People are becoming you know, very interested to know where their products come from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, fashion is increasingly seeing that. The yep. difficulty has always been that um, fashion supply chains are much longer and can be a lot more complex. And so yeah, um, it's what, um, you know, technologies and things that we can leverage now um, to be able to, con- you know, try and understand that and have more clarity on that. Um, you know, often it's not that they don't want to be transparent. It's just that the nature of it means that it's very complicated that in any one time to have an, a very accurate snapshot of where things have come from. But yeah. I think, you know, maybe that will change as well. Um, and actually speaking of supply chain and um, kind of transparency and uh, I guess being able to be sustainable with the supply chain mean, means having great transparency and being able to easily understand and uh, explain where each part comes from, whether it's food or fashion or any other um, product. But you mm-hmm. you wrote an article about blockchain and yes. sustainability. One of the great benefits of blockchain, I mean, there's probably an infinite number of things you can do with blockchain, but one of them is supply chain because you're able to easily understand where each port- part of a product comes from. And uh, it, it's very well organized. Um, I, I know very little about blockchain, and it's um, it's one of those buzzwords right now, which I think there's a lot of merit for it. But can you tell a little bit about blockchain and, and sustainability? It's, I think, a really cool way to use the technology. Yeah, so the idea of the blockchain is that you can basically make a digital footprint of, in theory, any sort of transaction that happens throughout a supply chain. So from a sustainability perspective, um, it really touches on what we've just been talking about in terms of the traceability or the provenance of, of products. Mm. Um, and it has an opportunity to be an, an amazing platform to, to tell those stories. And what it could in theory do, for example, is you know if you're wanting to buy fish that's been sustainably sourced or buy cotton um, that's you know definitely organic, um, and made, you know, free of child or modern slavery. Yeah. Um, is this a way of creating an insight and, and a totally immutable um, piece of information about, about a product? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been used a number of times, and there's, there's really exciting examples of where it's been used successfully. I think the problem with it is it requires um, really good data in the first place. And I think um, at the end of the day, it's still going to be human input of data and we could never eliminate, or at least at the moment, I don't see how the opportunity for error or for the, op- for the opportunity for the data to not be perfect could be eliminated from that. Yeah. 
one of the things I'm thinking of is you're saying, you know, like it's it's a way to say whether or not cotton, for example, had uh, there was child labor involved. But in theory, because uh, the blockchain is about being able to accurately store data um, and mm-hmm. accurately record it, right? It's not about, as in, in theory, someone could say our cotton is um, there. We don't use any child labor, but that could be a lie. And mm-hmm. that they would just they would, it would just store that information anyway. It doesn't prevent from lying, right. does it? Right, exactly. Yeah. It still requires it requires accurate data to have been put in right. put in in the first place. Then the way that that data is shared, and so you know, from a provenance perspective, it's quite exciting because you would have the, all those steps along the supply chain, and you'd be able to see those. But it requires that that data in the first place was correct. Yeah. Which I yeah I'm guessing there's plenty of challenges that come along with that. Well, yeah, indeed, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so going now to the what you've been doing basically for the last couple of years after House of Fraser, which is uh, basically consulting sustainability teams, which um, I think is a really interesting description, at least of how it works. Is your I guess it sounds like. Um, just to go go back to what we were talking about earlier, so there's a, a sustainability team at House of Fraser, and let's just say they need a little bit more assistance, um, and they essentially need an extra pair of hands or a couple extra people to chip in. Is that when they could, in theory, reach out to someone like you and say, "We we're working on this project. We need a little bit of help. Um, can you, you know, here's what we're working on." Yeah. And it could be, and we see, you know, all sorts of things um, that our clients might ask us us for, um, and it ranges massively. Uh, the company that I've w- was working for previously is quite um, it's historically quite technical, so mm-hmm. you might find that clients come to us a lot for technical pieces of information. So let's say um, you want to change the packaging that you're using for a product, um, but maybe you're actually not sure you know, what's the most environmentally friendly from a carbon perspective or what's the most environmentally friendly from a water perspective or it should we be using this packaging or should we remove it entirely? And they may just want the data to support those decisions and in which case we can crunch the numbers for them and, and look into that and, you know, give them a variety of solutions in that way. Because what you do often find is with sustainability, you know, you may not find there's one golden answer that ticks all of the boxes. It's about mm-hmm. sort of making compromises and trying to find the best solution for that situation. Um, so we can help sort of do the legwork behind that to inform decision making. That's on the one hand. Then on the other hand, and what we're seeing increasingly is that a company may come to us and say, look, we don't have a strategy at all. Um, and we, we really want to place sustainability, um, you know, at the core of what we're doing. How do we get started? And we can help them to understand um, what sort of issues might be of the biggest priority to them and to their stakeholders and use that to, to, to go forward with them. Probably, in my opinion, that would, those projects would be by far the most interesting where they come in and they say, OK, here's, the com- here's our business. Here's what we're doing. Uh, we've made promises to be, you know, to cut carbon emissions and do this, that, and the other. How do we do it? And then, 
what is it? It's like you go in there, you do you start interviewing people and, and basically learning about the business and if they have a supply chain, how that all works and how the how the products are sold and so on and so forth. And then based on that, you start thinking, okay, where can we start making changes? Yes. So in, in strategy development, we often will use something in sustainability called a materiality assessment. Huh. So materiality is around understanding what is important to you as a business. And then we can use that as building blocks for deciding where to focus on. Because, you know, sustainability covers so many issues. You're not going, you know, it covers environment, it covers social issues, it covers economic issues. And within that, it can be subdivided into so many priorities. So our very first step would be to conduct one of these assessments. And we look not just as you as a business, but we'd also look at your stakeholders um, and you know the importance of those stakeholders to you. Um, and through um, discussions with the client and through the discussions with their stakeholders, we can then build a picture of, of what will be important to prioritize. Once we've understood that, we can then create you know, a roadmap from where we are now to where we want to be um, and set the strategy like that. Yeah, and would you be helping them implement the roadmap, or it's more like, okay, here, here it is. Now, uh, good luck. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> it all depends on the client. Often, yeah. it would be like that. You know, these are the things that we've identified. These are some. You know, this is kind of a suggested way to get there, and then see how it goes. But you know, with anything, you also need to reevaluate. So many of our clients would come back to us and say, okay, you know, that was great for you know. 2019 now what are we going to do for 2020 what are we going to do for 2030 um and kind of it's a constantly uh changing and and dynamic sort of process yeah who who would you say typically um reaches out to a consultant i mean what's the would that fall under the coo or is there like um i mean you mentioned the csr team is there kind of a typical department that focuses on implementing this within their company you will typically speak to a sustainability team um, but not necessarily and it also depends you know where the company is in terms of their journey towards becoming a more sustainable organization Um, yeah often you'd speak to a sustainability team um, but you know with smaller companies you may find that you're speaking to the COO or you might find that you're speaking to a marketing and communications team, which is, mm. you know, where you can often find sustainability people, given its nature in terms of storytelling um, and reputation. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I never really considered the marketing side, but you're absolutely right. I mean, that's uh, probably one of the best places for it to live, uh, just because, like we were saying, a lot of people are now interested in sustainability. I mean clients and they they want that um it's something that they're really demanding i think i certainly do when i when i'm buying any products i always think about well what's the what's kind of my footprint here that um that i'm you know leaving by making any sort of purchase yeah absolutely i mean marketing teams have definitely um it's it's definitely been a place where sustainability has sat um i think that's sort of it is almost moving you know it's still important there but it is kind of moving into we need to have dedicated teams for this um i think that can be a challenge when sustainability t- sits purely within a sort of 
marketing and communications area of a company, there's always a risk that um, what is being communicated might not actually be backed up by what's being done in practice. And yeah. then they may be lacking a sort of technical element to that. Um, and, you know, there's always risks of, you know, greenwashing. I don't know if you've heard this term of things yes. kind of being marketed as super sustainable, but actually when you look into it at all, um, it really isn't. Yeah, the the greenwashing. I, I, I'd love to talk about that a bit more because I think that that's um, the more I speak to people, the more I'm realizing that greenwashing is a really big concern for a lot of people in the sustainability field because um, you have people who are actually working really hard to do really great stuff, and then you have people who say that they're working really hard to do great stuff, um, and. They're not always the same. Sometimes, like you were saying, it's it's people who are like maybe they're well intentioned. Let's just be optimistic and say they are, but they're not actually. Their company isn't um, basically completing everything that they're promising. I guess if if a, an, if an end consumer is making a purchasing decision based on the story that's being portrayed about the product and its environmental impacts, and a company is saying, you know, we are reducing we run only on renewable energy let's say and this plastic bottle or whatever that you're buying is completely recycled but actually it's not that's greenwashing isn't it or or is it a bit more complicated than that no i mean basically i'd say in any case where you're saying something um or you're making a sustainability related claim um which isn't isn't backed up or verified i think you know you're you're at risk of that and, you know, that's where I think consultants have a lot of opportunity as well. And a lot of, of yeah, uh, as an opportunity when we're, when we're discussing with our clients, you know, I did say before, sometimes with a consultant, you know, our job is to, to deliver what our client has asked for. And you may not right. have an insight beyond that, but you may. And especially with clients that you've worked with for a long time, you have an opportunity to be sort of a critical friend to them and say, you know, um, you know, you've developed the, this data into maybe a marketing campaign or, or a piece of material for your consumers. Um, you know, I would include a statement or, you know, we would advise that you include a statement that explains this or caveats this so that we know that we're being completely um, transparent with our consumers about what we're trying to claim on certain products or, or processes. Um, and there's a real opportunity for consultants there because you have that slight um, level of removal from from the core sustainability teams in these organizations. Yeah, that's really cool. It's it seems like um, being a sustainability consultant is like it's kind of like um, almost a superpower. You get to go in and um, help companies become like save the earth almost. Do you feel fulfilled doing this kind of thing, having these kind of conversations with companies and saying, you know, because you're really impacting the way that companies can work and you get to work with a lot of different players and, you know, doing your best to essentially lessen the negative environmental impact that they have on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, from a big picture perspective, you know, it's really exciting because, as you say, you get to work with a really diverse range of companies um, working on a whole different range of 
sustainability challenges that they might be having and you can kind of break that down and find solutions for them or help set strategies to um to overcome those difficulties and and it's really exciting obviously you know sometimes on a day-to-day basis when you're in the nitty-gritty of technical yeah. work you know sure. you can you know it's it's like anything but it is it, it is really exciting space to work in for sure yeah i mean we're kind of doing this backwards because i'd like to get into a little bit about how you got started in in the industry i mean or in the field rather you you said um that you did a master's mm-hmm. in sustainability um how i guess first of all how did you choose to go down that route and then second of all uh, what was the master's program about and what were some of the key takeaways? So I think like most people, I think they can relate to this is I sort of meandered my way towards a, a career in sustainability. I have a background in physical geography um, and I came out of that sort of, I wanted a career that wasn't just providing a service to others, but was really solutions focused for clients. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted a sort of global and and wider context. And I think as an individual, I'm really passionate about the environment. You know, I love hiking and and skiing and being in the outdoors. And to me, sort of sustainability was a bit of a a natural fit for me. You know, okay, environment's not the only element of sustainability, but it's a really important one. And it kind of just made sense. Um, And after I had finished my, my undergraduate degree, I'd never even heard of you know, sustainability or in-house sustainability teams. But I sort of came across it while I was living in Vancouver on the West Coast of Canada. And I thought, you know, this is a really, really exciting space. Um, And that's when I applied to um, do a MSc in environmental technology at Imperial College London. It's a really big master's program. They take on about 150 students a year. Mm. But each student has to specialize in, in one of, I think it's about 10 different areas. And one of those areas is, is business and the environment. Um, and it's a really hands-on practical course where you get involved in working and talking to businesses about different sustainability challenges that they have every single day. And that's mm-hmm. how I first came across House of Fraser. Um, and I first started working with them was um, through, the, through the program at Imperial. And, you know, it's a fantastic platform and it's got a really strong alumni network. And after I graduated from there, um, I, I started my consulting career. Yeah, really cool. So um, I've heard some people say that, you know, there's no money in sustainability. It's not really a job or uh, there's no career path in this field. Based on your experience so far, what would you say to that? I would say it's an area that's really only just getting started. I know that, you know, historically there have been CSR teams, um, Mm. but sustainability's sort of, I think in the last, you know, even just five or 10 years is is really exploding as an idea that isn't just a good thing to do or the right thing to do, but it also makes business sense. And if you want to manage the risks of your business, it has to be a key consideration. And I think, you know, climate change is going to impact global supply chains um, in unprecedented ways. Consumers are starting to shift the way that they think about the products that they buy and the impact of their money on 
uh, you know, companies and products and the financial services sector as well in recent years is really starting to take what they call ESG, so environmental, social and governance um, indicators as a way of managing risk in their investments as well. And I think the landscape for it is really shifting and it's shifting quite fast. And I think um, my impression is that we're only going to see it increasing in importance and we'll go from there. So for people who are interested in going into into this field, would you say that there is plenty of room and a lot of opportunity and and you'd recommend it or perhaps maybe wait a little bit and see where it, where it goes first before diving head first? I would say that there are a lot of opportunities to get involved. I mean, from my perspective, sustainability can be a really hard area to get into. It's a market that is piquing a lot of people's interest, particularly, you know, young millennials. You know, why yep. wouldn't you want to do a career that you get to work with big global companies and influence change and prioritize things like climate change and and modern slavery and make sure that we're taking those issues seriously you know it's really exciting space to be in but because of that and because you know you don't need to have a you know you don't you know it's not like law or medicine where you need to have a degree in it to do it if you know if you can think about problems in a dynamic way there's no reason why you can't have a career in sustainability either um so I think you find that sometimes at the very bottom, it can be a really flooded market because everybody wants to get involved. Um, but, you know, consulting is not, you know, being a sustainability consultant is not the only way to be involved in sustainability. And sitting in a sustainability team is not the only way to be involved in sustainability. Kind of we've alluded it, to it already a bit, but, you know, it's something that everybody in organisations needs to and will, will have to take responsibility for and I think you know even if you've just started a career in finance let's say and you're thinking god I you know I want to work in sustainability and I've now committed to you know a career in finance there's no space for sustainability here there is you know you need to think about is there an opportunity to integrate these ideas into what I'm doing already because that's where you know I see it going you know hopefully everybody's going to be thinking about these things um, and managing them. And that's an opportunity to kind of gain experience even when you're more junior. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think with um, finance in particular, there is a lot of room for uh, for having an interest in sustainability. There's um, one of the previous episodes I recorded with yeah. um, JP Dolman, who's in, he focuses on what he calls impact investing, yeah. which is a term. Um, and he was saying that the power of investing is huge when it comes to making a change in terms of or making positive impact um, with with sustainability because um, well according to according to some studies it's much more powerful to in terms of the direction that the company goes in uh, on based on the investment that goes into it rather than just purchasing um, I think the number is I, I might be wrong here I need to double check it but it could be like 25 times more impactful to invest in a in a company that's focusing on sustainability rather than just purchasing a product from them um so i I think for people who are in finance specifically just because you mentioned it there's a lot of room to uh to make impact and and actually have a really a really fulfilling career yeah good to hear that there's there's a lot of opportunity but it sounds like it's a bit um 
it, it's popular and there's it's quite competitive at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, particularly, as I said, you know, at the I've, from my experience, at least, you know, at the more junior level, you can find, you know, it would not be uncommon for sort of, you know, 200 or 300 people to apply for, for a junior level sustainability role. So, you know, anything that you can do in a pre-existing role to demonstrate your commitment and your thinking around it is an amazing start already. Yeah. Huh. That's quite some competition. <laughs> yeah. So being being clever about it is uh, sounds like the way to go. Uh, I guess you can even start really small. I mean, like um, just starting to put different practices uh, at your office in place, like uh, just organizing a recycling bin, for example, at your office or putting, um, putting a compost little uh, food waste uh, collection bin. Um, those, they're small things, but they end up accumulating uh, quite quickly because there's so many people who are working in an office, particularly if you're working in, in a larger company and you can, if you have 50 people who are starting to put all their food waste into a bin, that's quite a lot of um, diversion from landfill that otherwise would have just gone straight there. So you, yeah, you really can, I think that's a good point. You really can make a lot more impact um, and kind of be like a, a sustainability ninja. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, if you are, you know, just starting out as well, you know, identify those people in your organization that, you know, you do want to work with, you know, yeah, sustainability teams are small, but often I found, you know, in sustainability teams that I know, they might bring somebody, you know, you might be a, a designer and they might bring a sustainability, you know, they might bring you across to work in the sustainability team if that's what you've shown that you're really passionate about because actually having the perspective of being a designer or a buyer could be really useful for yeah. a sustainability team. So you kind of never really know. And unfortunately, that sort of is difficult when you're then advising people, but, you know, there isn't one way into mm -hmm. sustainability at all. Yeah, I think, um, I think it, a buyer could have a lot of impact. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to House of Fraser, I mean, if your job is to source the best quality um, or, you know, you're sourcing the, the products that you're selling, you have a pretty big um, opportunity there. And on that note, I, we're approaching our time here. So um, the final question I'd love to ask, um, Dory, is kind of on, uh, in addition to what we've talked about just now and, and how you can kind of Ease, ease your way into sustainability on a professional sense. You know, are there any things that people can do on a day-to-day -day basis when perhaps they are at work or not at work, um, or maybe things that you do um, to promote sustainability on a day-to-day -day basis that our listeners could uh, could maybe take away and start practicing themselves? I think actually, in many ways, when I think about what I do to be more sustainable in my day-to-day -day life, it's actually very similar the advice I'd give to people that I would give to my clients and it's about you know all you know you have to think about what's important to you um you know you can't do everything and I think sometimes in around sustainability there can be a feeling like oh you know I don't eat meat but you know occasionally I do want to fly home to you know Seattle because I want to see my family and yeah. you know there is there can be sometimes a bit of feeling of of guilt, I think, around not being able to do everything, or some people are doing some things and other people aren't, and oh, you know, I've been served a drink with a plastic straw, and you know, these issues are so complex. I think as a start, I'd think about what's most important to you and where do you think that you can have the most impact and start there as a priority. 
you can always reevaluate that and change things. But, you know, for me, a really big part, you know, I ride my bike whenever I can. Um, I, yeah. I'm not vegan. I'm not vegetarian. But, you know, I'm really conscious that when I do eat meat, I try and, you know, buy from reputable sources. And, you know, I don't eat meat or fish every day. In fact, I don't a lot of the time. But, you know, kind of everything in moderation. Um, trying to do the right thing when I can because you know there are so many different things that you can do and kind of just find out where you can have an impact and, and focus on that yeah I think that's a really good point I think um it's you know this is a long-term kind of thing that, that we're doing um in terms of living life and living life in an environmentally friendly way or in a sustainable way so I think it's important that you are consistent um, yeah I think it's more important to be to do the best you can consistently rather than try to be perfect, fail, and then give up and never try again. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, if you just balance it, to me that that makes the most sense because then you're you know, you're doing the best you can and maybe you're inspiring other people to make some small changes which add up and the habits hopefully start building on top one on top of another. Yeah, absolutely. Use it as an opportunity to have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. Um, so it's it's good to know that there isn't isn't too much pressure that making one small change at a time is, is good um, and helpful. And then you don't need to, um, uh, you don't need to be a perfectionist about it. So it's okay to, <laughs> to make some mistakes and, and just keep going and doing your best. I'm sure others would agree with, uh, disagree with me, but yeah, yeah, sure. as you say, you know, everybody's got to do their part. And I think if we're all, if we're all trying to do our best, then, then that's a great place to start. And on that note, um, Dory, thank you very much for your time. Uh, really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you get to work with a lot of really cool clients in the new year in 2020. So good luck with uh, with all of the projects that you, you have coming up and looking forward to, to hearing more about it in the near future. Thanks very much, Daniel. Great to be on the show. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends uh, and also give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to it on. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit subscribe so that you can uh, be notified of the next episode. And also, reach out to us on social media. We're on Instagram at Sustainability Matters Today. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks and talk to you soon.